Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation, nderf.org. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Today we're going to share the experience of Nan from the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website. And Nan says... I saw a dark tunnel and began to travel out of the top of my head and through it. After traveling through this space, I felt relieved to see an open, expansive area that looked like a night sky. I continued flowing through this expanse without control. I felt that I was being pulled or controlled through this process. I felt no fear at this point, but had a slight sense of curiosity about where I was but no fear. After some time traveling in this manner, I realized there were two women with me. There was an older woman on my right shoulder who looked very much like the guardian angel I saw at age five, who was very calm and quiet, and a middle-aged woman with with dark hair on my left shoulder who was upset and kept repeating, it's not time. This is not the right time. Oh no. Then I began to see a pinpoint of light in the distance and realized we were traveling very rapidly towards it. As we did so, the light became incrementally larger and larger. The color was a very special glowing white, very pure. As we got Very close to the light, I saw tens of thousands of beings dressed in white gowns, all facing the light and singing a music I have never heard the likes of before. They were in the service of the light, and apparently singing praises to the light. The light was filled with the most extraordinary, overwhelming, and indescribable feeling of love. Then I came directly in front of the light, and the light spoke in a man's voice, firm and direct, saying only, Go back. I was very cocky and said to the light, What do you mean? I want to be here. Hey! The light then spoke again and said, Go back. You have a great deal to learn. I instantly was shocked into recognizing I had no choice, and filled with sorrow at leaving, rapidly flew back. Re-entering the top of my head, I became conscious in the ambulance and heard the attendant say, She's going to make it, we hope. I have encountered that same feeling only once again, in the presence of a living Sufi master. After this experience, which took me a long time to make sense of, I began to have vivid dreams that came true, had strong premonitions. My life was hardly easy before or after, but eventually I became curious about religious philosophy and started a spiritual path in 1989 that I hope to remain on the rest of my life. That's the end of the experience. And I know it's kind of a short one, but there's a few things I want to mention about that, and then we've got a listener call that I'd like to share. So... First off, she talks about uh, seeing this expansive area um, that looked like a night sky. You know, it's interesting to me how on the other side, when people are seeing landscapes, they'll be in mountains and and so forth. I don't hear much 
description of night. It's like it's like there's sometimes twilight or there is, uh, you know, midday lightness and everything in between. But you don't hear much about night. And yet you have a lot of people flying through space. And obviously in space, it's very much a night sky. So if if whatever is lacking in night sky, if you enjoy night sky, uh, there is plenty of opportunity for it by flying into space. <laughs> How that is accomplished and, you know, whether a person can just, you know, Superman fly from the spirit world into space or what, I, I don't know for sure. It appears that that's the case because there are people doing it. But uh, anyway, interesting point. Um, so she talks about, the, she's got this sense of curiosity, there's no fear, and as she's flying, she realizes, and this is such an interesting thing to me, because in the physical world, you don't just realize that somebody has been with you for a while. It just doesn't happen, and yet, in the spirit world, it seems to happen quite often, um, at least in near-death experiences. She says that she realizes there were two women with her, and though she doesn't seem to give much detail about the one, except that she looks like the guardian angel she saw at age five, which I want to hear that story too, but she doesn't share it here. But apparently she saw a guardian angel at age five. I would be interested to know if she'd had any kind of injury or unconsciousness um, prior to that time in case that might have, have opened her uh, to these kinds of things. Either way, this is clearly a near-death experience, so I'm sure that she opened up even more afterward, which it sounds like is the case because she talks about the vivid dreams that come true and premonitions and so forth and, and an interest in religious philosophy, um, which actually kind of brings on um, what's going to be our comment in a bit, and I, I'll comment on it after, you know, after we finish discussing this, but... Uh, she says the other one that is flying with her, that she realizes has been flying with her, is a, a quiet middle-aged woman with dark hair. And uh, she doesn't seem to recognize, or at least doesn't say anything about recognizing this other one. But this one seems really worried, kind of, uh, because she kept repeating, oh no, it's not time. This isn't the right time. And she seems really troubled, or, you know, as far as a spirit in a wondrous, beautiful, loving atmosphere can be troubled. Um, she seems troubled by the fact that uh, that this is happening already. And, and then when she gets to the light, and uh, she, saw, she sees tens of thousands. And she got, let's see, as we got very close to the light, I saw tens of thousands of beings dressed in white gowns all facing the light and singing a music I had never heard the likes of before. She never heard anything like the music she was hearing. And they seemed to be singing praises to the light. Now, many people call the light God. Many people call God the light. And so this seems consistent with other experiences of people, you know, praising God as he is either on his throne or in the light, or they're praising the light and feeling this love coming from it. Um, and they are considering that light to be God. And and so this is consistent, but she's like, no, I, you know, it, 
she tells um, the light when it says, go back, she says, what? What do you mean? I don't want to go back. Hey. But it says, go back. You have a great deal to learn. Now, this is consistent with, you know, so many near-death experiences. But I do want to mention here, I scanned down in looking to see if there was any mention of the guardian angel in some of the uh, uh, further notes on enderf.org about this. And there's nothing of a mention of the guardian angels, but it does say that the death was caused by uncertain suicide attempt. And and, um, so this was a suicide attempt. She was attempting to commit suicide. And the instruction that she gets from the light is go back. You have a great deal to learn, which puts a little bit of emphasis again on this idea of suicide is not the answer. And, uh, you know, when people do die of suicide, they're cutting off the lessons that they are meant to learn and that they're here to learn. And, and so it's, you know, you're not escaping anything really. Yes, it's true. You may be instantly in a loving atmosphere and so forth and that sounds appealing but it's not going to answer the problems it's not going to make them go away you've got a great deal to learn if you're in a situation of feeling like suicide may be the answer whether it's a suicide because of depression or suicide because you feel like you've learned everything that you can and you feel spiritually mature and that it's time to move on, it's not your time to move on. That's not how it works. At least from everything I study, that's not how it works. Your time will come when it's time. That's just how it works. Nobody goes before their time when they're really trying to live right. And nobody... uh, kills themselves at the right time. And people may argue about that, I don't know, but from everything I read, it it seems very much like suicide is just not the answer. Anyway, um, thought I'd mention that. And then she goes back in, re-entering the top of her head. It's interesting, she comes out the top of her head and in the top of her head. Something about the top of the head, there's that crown thing again, you know, the soft spot area is from the way some have described it. And there are other places people come in and out of their bodies, such as their chest or or face or whatever. But top of the head seems to be the most common. And then, of course, after this, she opens up to more premonitions and vivid dreams and so forth. I would be interested to ask one of these people that have had many near-death experiences if that openness to spiritual things increases with each experience or or even just helps them channel the abilities they felt like they already had from their previous experiences. You know, if there's something about each experience that opens them even wider, or if it's, you know, once you're open, you're open kind of thing, and maybe another near-death experience might provide another insight into that or something, but uh, but wouldn't necessarily increase the ability. I'd, I'd be curious to know. Uh, more detail about that. But anyway, so we have uh, another call from DeLon, one of our most loyal listeners. So we'll go ahead and go to that one. Good morning, Chaz. Well, at least this morning uh, for me. (laughs) Hey, I was just listening uh, to your podcast about uh, this Randy that uh, 
that was doing the the thing where you know sometimes kids will mess around and take deep breaths and, and then squeeze their chest and and then they'll pass out. <laughs> you know, uh, when I was a kid, we was doing the same thing. Uh, my brother uh, Corky, you know, Kay, and uh, some of his friends, we would do that, and we thought that was pretty cool, you know. And then uh, after a while, I I learned to kind of do it myself. I I take these deep breaths, and then I uh, there's another way of kind of uh, you know pushing against your carotid arteries, and uh, so I could make myself pass out. And I thought that was pretty cool. And then uh, after doing oh, a few weeks of that, uh, there was one time that I I got up. I was in my uh, well, my folks' uh, front living room, and I went out to, uh, I think I seen the mailman come or something, so I got up, went out to uh, get the mail, and as I opened the door, uh, also I felt a little funny, and the next thing I knew, I was laying down on the, on the back, on, on the porch, and I thought, what the heck, you know, and I thought, man, I better quit doing these things because I think it's making me so I can pass out easier or something. Uh, I think I did uh, get up kind of quick, uh, you know, to go get the mail, but still, that I, I've never had anything like that. And so I, I quit doing it because I thought, I don't think this is good for me. You know, and just a few years back, I heard, I don't know if it was on Facebook or I read somewhere, that uh, scientists and doctors have found out that that is bad to do for kids not to do this, or adults for that matter, because uh, it can cause some brain damage. (laughs) I thought, whoa, I'm glad I quit doing that. But, you know, I've never thought of that. I, as far as I know, it wasn't a near-death uh, experience thing, but you know, maybe possibly it was. Since this happened to this uh, Randy, uh, I know there there are times when I I have seemed to have a little extra perception of, of things, uh, like when I first met my my wife when she's introduced to me by my sister. I, I just thought that's a girl I want to marry. And, uh, you know, it, to me, maybe it was more the, the spirit, the, the Holy Ghost or something telling me that. But I've had other times when, uh, like, sometimes the phone would ring, you know, and I think, oh, that, that's going to be so-and-so. And uh, a lot of times, most of the time it is. And I don't know if it's just uh, maybe because I was kind of expecting her or, or, or them, you know, to call or something, but. There's been times like that when I uh, things that have happened, somebody's died or uh, maybe somebody had a baby or this or that. I, I kind of seem to know it sometimes. And I've often thought, huh, that's interesting. So anyway, yeah, I, I think that uh, perhaps maybe I did have something close to that. I don't know. But <laughs> anyway, I thought I'd just bring that up and... Uh, if any listeners are trying to do this, uh, pass yourself out by the deep breaths and all that, I would suggest no, don't do it. Uh, but anyway, okay, 
another thing I want to say too, when you mentioned about uh, vulnerable, being vulnerable, about that uh, Sunday school lesson that you gave, and the guy said not to, not to uh, be so vulnerable or be more authoritative. I thought, oh no, you know, uh, that's what I like about you. Uh, I love a person that, you know, it, it can be vulnerable. You, you get some of these people are so sure and uh, this and that, just like uh, Renee Brown's death in politics. Some of these, you know, boy, I'm right, this, that. Uh, I'd love to see somebody that's not afraid to be vulnerable. So uh, keep that up. <laughs> All right, Jess. Uh, have a good day. Bye-bye. Thank you, Delon. I'm so glad you called. And, and what a great comment to make. You know, the uh, first off, you know, as as you say, don't try this stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of like we talked about with suicides, with drugs, and so forth. It may be true that some of these things occasionally do instigate something like that. But, you know, like Delon says, just don't do that kind of stuff. Just Life will bring on its own its own uh, uh, opportunities for spiritual growth and stuff without our having to try to bring them on ourselves. In fact, um, my personal suggestion to anyone that would really is really feeling like they want to try to do something proactive to seek out something akin to a near-death experience, which to anyone not of this you know, field and study and so forth sounds completely ludicrous. But but those of us like like myself that are interested in this would be like, I'd love to have some kind of experience minus the near death part. Okay, if you're somebody who who would like to try to instigate something of yourself, the the only w- safe way that I know of that uh, that I think is fair to say you shouldn't have any problem with is prayer and meditation because prayer is a direct communication with God. That has been confirmed in so many of these experiences and in my own personal life that I can I can give you absolute certainty that God is hearing you when you pray, especially when it is sincere, especially when it is, you know, with love and humility and just a willingness to learn. And then meditation is a great way to just listen for those answers, to just sit in stillness. And there are many different kinds of meditation, and I've only tried probably a a dozen different things, but they all kind of come down to the same thing of sitting in silence and and stillness and just listening. And uh, I can't say that that in the, what, two or three years that I've been active actively meditating that I've had anything akin to a near-death experience. But I have felt a very strong um, connection with my spirit, if you will. I have felt, you know, I, I have received inspiration. I've felt ideas and, and, and had thoughts come to me. I've even had times where enough thoughts are coming that I have to get out my computer and just type up everything that's coming and you know there are so many ways to to just tap into our spiritual side that are both harmless and even encouraged by God that we don't have to 
mess with some of these you know life-threatening uh body-threatening things so you know when it comes to suicide drugs um and these you know games and so forth of making yourself pass out just stay away from them stay away from them i remember when i was a kid i i never did it myself i was just too creeped out by it to do it but i saw my friends doing it and and it was a popular thing in high school or maybe it was junior high i can't remember but uh but yeah, and and so I, it's it's not like I fault anybody who's done this or who, who does this. But if I ever catch my kids trying it, I'm going to stop them so fast. <laughs> because, you know, it's part of the reason that I worry about that even more than probably many of them do is from these studies of near-death experiences, the two things that seem to to kill somebody the fastest are stopping the breath and stopping the heart. You do either of those things and you will probably propel yourself into an experience that you may or may not be able to get out of, meaning death. <laughs> okay, so, you know, you just don't know. And and like Delon says, it's interesting how he says he'd been doing this as a game, you know, it's kind of fun, playful for him, you know, and then all of a sudden... You know, one day he gets up too quick and we've all gotten up too quick and like, whoa, and have to steady ourselves against a wall. But his body probably had become accustomed to passing out. You know, I think the body fights to stay conscious. It's it's kind of like if you ever try to do a backflip, you know, find a mattress, try to, you know, if you've never done a backflip, um, get some blankets and, you know, or even try on a trampoline, whatever, some way that it's going to be safe, but try to do a backflip. What you find is that the body has reactions that you can't yet control. It has um, instincts that say, no, 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 not going that way. Not happening. I, I tried it myself several times. I was trying to learn to backflip and I, I still haven't got it yet. But uh, but there is a resistance that the the mind just takes over at that last quarter second when you're like, I've got I, I've looked this up, I've studied it, I've got my form right, all I gotta do is jump, tuck, and and then come down. Not as simple as that, not as simple as that, because the brain at that last second says, No, you're not. No, you're not. And I think that happens sometimes in those moments where we're getting woozy. We stand up too quick and whoa. You know, I've had times where I've stood up so quick that, and maybe I've been kind of sick or something, you know, fever or whatever. And the just wash of stars over such that I can't even see for a second. And I steady myself. I can feel my knees kind of, uh, you know, wobbling a little bit. But I don't pass out. And why do I not pass out? I think it's my brain saying, no, you don't. You're not going to do that. And and so it keeps me safe in that way. If I were in a situation that, you know, for example, vertigo, maybe I'm I'm in a precarious situation climbing a, a mountain or something or, or, you know, looking over at the end of a hike, the mountainside. At that moment, as long as I'm conscious, I'll be fine because I'm not going to I'm not going to let myself just, whoa, you know. But if I get a little bit of vertigo and the brain says, because it's conditioned to to be used to that passing out ability and used to the, the that uh, um, kind of thing, it's very possible. I get a slight vertigo and boom, I fall. And next thing I know, I'm off the side of the mountain just because I 
didn't remain conscious. And so that's probably what happened to Dilan is he had conditioned his body to suppress that, oh, no, you don't, when it comes to going unconscious. And so when he felt a little dizzy, his body said, oh, yeah, here we go again. <laughs> you know, somebody who can do a backflip doesn't have that, oh, no, you don't, for the, uh, for the spinning backwards that our brain does not want us to do until we train ourselves out of it. And so, yeah, again, the point being, don't try it at home. <laughs> don't try it anywhere. But um, but the message that he gets out of it, the whole thing about whether this could be something that triggered the spiritual openness, I would be very interested to know if that's the case. And it sounds like, you know, obviously Dilan is too. It, it's the kind of thing that how would you prove that? And the only thing I can think of is if we got lots of input from lots of people who have been unconscious for something besides sleep and ask them more detail about their spiritual openness. Of course, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, unintentional unconsciousness, um, you have to start asking questions of what about when they put you out for surgery? What about, you know, when maybe you pass out, uh, uh, while getting your blood drawn or seeing, you know, just little things that are fairly common ways to pass out that are considered harmless and very rarely lead to a near-death experience. But the thing is, is, I mean, it's like we've talked about, even those who do flatline, even those who do die on the operating table and are revived, there's still only about one in every 10 people who have a near-death experience at that time. And my guess is that those who have had experiences in the past, it's it could be that it's kind of like that, you know, oh, no, you don't thing, that, um, you know, part of our brain or, or spirit or whatever it is may be saying, no, you're not going anywhere. You've got more work to do. And yet, after you've done it a couple of times, it may ease up on that a little bit, saying, oh, yeah, we've done this before. It's not a big deal. And so we slip out of the body. And whether we remember the experience or not, it could have the after effects or create the after effects. However, that is even done. I don't know. I'm, I'm totally speculating this, but but it's, it's an interesting question and an interesting thought. You know, I was even thinking about this back to get, getting back to my own personal journey as, uh, you know, when I was younger. I, I was a very spiritually interested person from as far back as at least age 12. But as I think back, you know, to specific incidences, it was about a month after, um, you know, like my earliest really spiritual interested memory it was probably about a month after I turned 12, which means that I was probably more like 11 or younger, it could have been younger. I just don't remember in my my memory with time. Uh, I'm going on 40 this year, and my memories of of the first 10 years of my life are just kind of like slowly dissipating, and I'm trying to record them in some way, shape, or form so I don't lose them. But obviously, when I have my life review someday, I'll remember every bit of it, every second of it. But uh, <laughs> and I'm curious about some of that. But uh, I was going back in my brain and thinking, kind of like Dilan was, and, and thinking, well, I, you know, there are some things that I have that almost reflect of 
after effects of near-death experience. For one thing, this not, you know, complete lack of fear of death. I've, you know, that's been the case for most of my life, or at least, you know, a lack of, a general lack of fear of death. Since studying these things, it has wiped out almost entirely because, you know, from reading these experiences, we find even the moments before death generally aren't all that bad for people. That's not always, not always, but generally, like, you know, anyway, I'm not going to go into details, but uh, generally those last few moments aren't even so bad, you know, and a lot of the experiences I've already had, crashes, boom, bangs, you know, knock into this, knock into that, probably will hurt, have hurt more than death, you know, other than, you know, some of the long drawn out sick deaths and stuff, you know, but anyway, point is, <laughs> I, I was thinking back and I was trying to remember, well, could there have been something? And, and maybe there's different levels of, of experiences that can cause or start or hint at these uh, after effects because my real intense spiritual drive during my teenage years, I mean, either I came with it to earth or something happened that gave me an intense interest in spiritual things. And I was trying to think, was there anything, you know, and there's always the possibility of complications during, you know, labor when I'm being born that I wouldn't have known about. But my mom has been straightforward with me with things that have happened. And, and I think of, you know, growing up, I had a lot of close call kind of things like, you know, running out into the road and cars swerving to miss me or things like that. I, I was, I was a very, rambunctious ADHD uh, kid with with lots of energy and and was always into some, into things and you know uh, and I, I had lots of situations of uh, bangs and and rough moments but I can't think of any time being involuntarily unconscious but as I was thinking back you know all the crash boom bangs and you know whatevers that I had as a kid, there was a situation where as in my brain, I'm thinking nine years old, just like that's the number that comes to mind. But as I think about, you know, grade school and where I was and what was going on at those times, as best I can remember, it's probably was more likely age 10, maybe even 11. Cause I had this friend that we would hang out all the time and, and we would have sleepovers, you know, every six months or something. And, and, uh, he, w he invited me to his birthday party and, uh, I don't remember what age he was, but probably the time that we spent the most time together and did the most was in sixth grade. And, in sixth grade, I was 11 years old. I was a summer birthday, so my entire sixth grade, I was 11 years old. And I don't know if it was the birthday prior to that or, you know, right after that that he had or what. I don't know. But I'm thinking it was probably in the summer, which would put it close to turning age 12. I, uh, my turning tw age 12, he had... A birthday party I, I went and we went swimming for it and there's an interesting thing about it too my dad who is very spiritually sensitive as well emotionally and spiritually sensitive he was not excited about me going he, he just felt not so good about it and the reason he struggled with the idea of me going at least the reason he gave me 
was that um, because this swimming pool was called Saratoga Swimming Pool or something like that. And he, as a kid um, of probably about my age, I, I, I'd have to check with him, had seen a friend drown in Saratoga Springs Reservoir. If, if, if I'm remembering that correctly. And so when he heard we were swimming in Saratoga, he was like, no, 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 don't even think about it. You know, he, he remembered it and he said it was, it was just traumatic seeing his friend there, lifeless, um, who had fallen off a raft or something and everybody tried to help him out but couldn't find him until it had been too late, something to that effect. I mean, just horrific situation for a, a kid to experience. And so he had a bad feeling about this from the start. Anyway, um, we go swimming at this. This was a. This was not the um, the the reservoir. It was a swimming pool, lifeguards, everything. You know, it was a a really nice setup and very public and everything. And uh, and so you know, when he found that out, he. He gave consent. He said, okay, yeah, but, but he, he was still uneasy just because of that experience. And then uh, while we were there, I mean, I didn't know how to swim yet. So I was always, you know, shallow end kid. And, and I was not very smart, I guess, because I didn't realize that the diving board, um, beneath the diving board is a deep part. You know, and most of the time I knew the diving board is on the deep end of the swimming pool. That's just how they're usually structured. But this had a diving pool. And so it was a totally separate pool. You had the, you know, uh, regular pool over here with shallow and deep end and all that stuff. And then you get out and you walk over to the diving pool um, in order to dive. Now, it didn't occur to me at the time that this water would be deep. I, again, I was a rambunctious, just, you know, wee here we go, fun. Um, kind of kid. And my friend was like, Hey, let's go jump off the diving board. And I was like, yeah, I've always wanted to do that. And he jumps off. He's like, cannonball. She jumps in, swims off. And I'm like, cannonball. And I jump in and there's no bottom to this water. And I'm just like, ah, oh, there's no wind. And I'm, and I'm sloshing and flailing and and honestly, at this, as I think back, I, I swear I remember looking up and seeing the water above me and the, and, you know, the lights of, of the sky out there and stuff. But as I think back, too, I'm like, why would I have opened my eyes? I was underwater and I knew it. So whether I actually opened my eyes and saw the water and sloshing and stuff or whether I um, just remember that because... I knew that I was underwater. You know, think back to a time you jumped in the water and try to remember what it looks like. And you can usually actually remember what it looked like under the water, even though you weren't eyes open or your eyes weren't open. So I don't know why that is. It's a, it's a funny thing about our psyche. But as I think back to that, it's, oh, let me continue my story. So I'm sloshing and I couldn't reach the top and I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh, you know, and not knowing what to do. And I just flash, flash, flash. And next thing I remember, I'm being, I'm out of the water. Somebody's lifted me out and I see this flip-flop floating in the water. And I take, you know, deep breath and he hauls me. It was a lifeguard. He had jumped in, seen me go and see me slashing around, not able to swim. He dives in, pulls me out and he's like, you know, gets me out and he's like, what are you doing jumping in the deep end if, you know, if you don't know how to swim? 
and I'm like, sorry, I didn't know it was deep. <laughs> My stupid little self as I was. And, uh, <laughs> But he, he saved my life. He totally did. And as he's, as he's walking away, I, you know, I, or as I'm walking away shaking, you know, because of the trauma of <laughs> nearly drowning, I'm, I'm like, thank you. And I'm walking away. And I was a little kid that needed glasses and stuff. And so I never could see his face well, um, the fuzzy vision and so forth. But, uh, but as I'm thinking about, you know, that, was probably the incident that I could think was closest, like in all my life that I can remember, that's probably the closest I got to death. It was also probably the closest crash, boom, bang incident that I can remember off the top of my head or deep in my head as I can remember to that time period where I really started taking interest in spiritual things. Now, did I have a near-death experience? Well, I... I, I don't think so because I uh, don't remember going unconscious. I I don't even remember swallowing any water other than maybe, you know, a little bit as I took that deep breath coming out of the water. I, I, I'm pretty sure I actually did hold my breath that whole time, but I was panicking. There's no question about that. And I remember even just a brief, brief incident thinking I might die. And uh, just, just I mean, very flashing brief. And I didn't have time to think about that because I was just trying to get out of the water and splashing and, and whatever. And I think of splashing. I, I'm a sinker. I tend to sink. And, but I, I must have had my lungs full of air, so I probably didn't sink too bad. And were my hands going above the water? I don't know. I'd, it's all a splashy blur to me, you know. But as I think back, I'm like, could it be that I had some kind of pseudo experience or maybe an experience that I've forgotten could I have passed out for a moment and you know I I don't think so but again these things are all a mystery we don't know what's going on and most people have had probably some kind of experience in their life if they're adults anyway and have had a full childhood had experiences where they came had close calls of sorts whether falling out of trees or, you know, whatever, where you things could have gone a lot worse. And these kinds of experiences, they happen sometimes to people who just get knocked out. They, have pe- they happen to people, obviously, who flatline. But they also happen to people who, for just a brief instance, think they're about to die. And then nothing happens of injury. So, I mean, there's, there's all, there's, there's no rules fast rules about these things and it kind of makes me wonder if maybe my experience there um, shocked me into some kind of spiritual openness. I don't know. I don't know. I would love to remember something more than that, but I'm afraid I'm going to invent a memory if I dig too hard. You know, you don't want to press your memory to the point where you're, where you're making false memories. Because that's, you know, what's the point of that, you know, if it's false? Anyway, it, it just made me think of that uh, in, from Delon's comment because, you know, he passed out a few times and who knows? It, maybe he had some kind of experience. Or maybe there's something about getting that closeness to death or going unconscious or, or just, you know, not ha- having air for a time or whatever it is that breaks 
the veil enough or puts a crack in the veil enough to open someone up a little bit spiritually. I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, your personal experiences. Honestly, any of you listening at this point, one thing I've noticed, it's so funny when I tell people about my book or the podcast and they're like, oh, really? Why? Did you have a near-death experience? That seems to be their first question. Did you have a near-death experience? Almost as if to say, why would somebody be interested in near-death experiences if they didn't have one themselves? And I don't think that's quite what they're meaning, but that's almost what I'm gathering from their experience, which is part of the reason that I've started asking myself, I don't think I have. Maybe there's something I don't remember, or I don't know, you know? So it's, it's the kind of thing that if you're interested in these things... Could that be a sign that you've had something? I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to go too far on the, on this limb. This is a really, really um, precarious limb because, <laughs> again, we don't have research enough to validate the idea. But just a few thoughts. I, I consider myself a near death experience uh, researcher, but not your your cold hard you know sources um, statistical probability kind of researcher. I'm a, I'm an improvisational everything, including researcher, which is to say, I like going out on limbs. I like playing with uh, philosophy ideas, uh, philosophical ideas, and just like, what if this was the case? What if this was the case? And then, you know, there's times where the limb just breaks off and you're like, okay, well, never mind. That doesn't work at all because of this other thing that I found out. And that's fine. That's fine. I'm totally cool with not having any idea what the real answers are, but I love exploring the unknown from the side of where we can't see into that unknown. Just please recognize to all of you out there that these are just my ideas. I have no idea how much basis there is in truth and how much there is in just, you know, the ramblings of a of a curious soul. So, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash ndecast. Uh, you can and become an ongoing monthly contributor. And that is obviously the most um, effective way of supporting the podcast because financially because it, it, it's a monthly uh, contribution, which to those who are doing it, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's, it's genuinely... Uh, making me be able to keep going with this. Also, you can purchase my book. And that helps in a number of ways because not only does it provide some financial, you know, backing to this effort, but it also does the whole algorithmic thing with, uh, you know, for example, Amazon. Every time somebody buys one, uh, it, it puts it in a rank and the higher the rank is the more likely it is to show up for people um, who are searching for things or who are just looking for a new book to read and so forth for example the response has been just beautiful from you guys and uh, the uh, kindle book um, came up i got on yesterday just to see how it was doing because you know from where i am now just yesterday, or day before yesterday, no, sorry, Friday, Friday no, Saturday, <laughs> so, yeah, day before yesterday was when I gave the initial announcement of my book being out, and I just want, kind of wanted to see if 
there'd been any response. And it said that it was the number one new release in grief and spirituality. And I'm like, wow, well, how about that? <laughs> I've never been number one in anything on Amazon, you know, and I've got quite a few books out on various unrelated subjects, you know, and so forth. But, uh, but when I saw that, I was just like, man, you guys are awesome. Because, I, you know, while I did mention it on Facebook briefly, I don't have, you know, a ton of friends on Facebook and I don't, and I don't think it was all of them. I think it was probably more of you listeners uh, wanting to support the program and so forth and, and seeing that number one new release in grief and spirituality. That's, that's so cool. And, you know, it could be gone tomorrow or today or whatever. I don't know. But but thank you, you guys. That's just That just makes me think, got to keep doing this. This is beautiful. Anyway, I'm rambling now. If you would like to leave your, uh, your own comments, your questions, share your own experience, you can do that by emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com or calling 970-NDE-CAST. And once again, thank you, you guys, so much for listening. Thank you.